13, if you would please follow along as I begin reading from God's Word in verse 7. The Word of God says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, as you can tell, that's a pretty big chunk. Let's ask for God's help today. Holy Spirit, we pray you would meet us and help us. We acknowledge the words of Hebrews chapter 4, that your word is living and active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and and marrow, and we, we want to welcome that ministry right now. We pray that your living and active word would be used by your Holy Spirit to pierce into our hearts, to strengthen our hearts, to help us see and follow Jesus. Pray for any who are yet to know him, that even today they would turn to him. Help us, we ask you, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a great theologian, Jonathan Edwards, who described the Christian life one time in a way that I wonder if you can relate to. He likened the Christian life to traveling uphill. Traveling uphill. He said it can be hard and tiresome. He said it's the right path. Oh, it's the right path. You're following Jesus to heaven. But he said, it can be like traveling uphill. Like you're trudging up Cow's Mountain. You feel like that this morning? Like you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. You're trudging uphill, and it's hard, and you're tired. And to be honest, you're just plain worn out. Maybe as a mom or a dad or a single adult or a teenager, 
a middle-aged man like myself. And you're weary. You're tired. And maybe even you want to quit. Look, the book of Hebrews is here to help you. It's in your Bibles to help you persevere, to help you keep going. And today we want to ask, how will we do so? How will we do so? It is, it is God who preserves his people. God does. But how will you keep going as he preserves you? I want to submit to you there are four means here God wants to use. Four means of God preserving, strengthening, and helping his people as we travel uphill following Jesus all the way to heaven. Four means that will help you persevere. Here's means number one. Means number one, persevere by the church of Jesus through the means of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed the, the bookends to our passage. There are bookends, and on either side you find leaders mentioned and their role in the church. The first bookend is in verse 7. Look back to verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, perhaps the original leaders of this church had died. We're not sure, but perhaps that's why this is mentioned, to remember them. And they're told to remember in particular, notice, the outcome of their way of life and to imitate, to copy, to parrot their faith in Jesus. Remember how they ran the race of faith all the way to the end and imitate them. Be like them. Be affected by their example. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the flu season we have right now. I know it's a significant and serious flu season. I'm not minimizing that. I am constantly washing my hands. I am washing my hands incessantly, trying to avoid certain doorknobs. I'm avoiding the contagion if I can, because it's a very contagious virus. Look, faith in Christ is meant to be contagious like that. It's contagious by example. You're to see the example of other people and see the outcome of their way of life and then imitate their faith to be helped by their example. You want to catch this bug. You want to be infected by their example. We hope that's the effect of your leaders' lives here. We hope we are contagious in our faith in Christ. Not setting a perfect example by any means at all, but we hope a consistent example that is contagious for you. But I hope this is the effect not just of your pastors or elders. I hope it's the effect of going to your small group. I hope it's the effect of being in your home group. I hope you go to your home group meetings and you catch this bug. That it's a contagious environment for you. That you go and your faith is regularly built up as you consider other people's lives and how they're following Jesus too. That you too are built up by their faith. You might go to your next home group meeting with that prayer. Lord, let, let their faith be contagious for me and let my faith be contagious for them that we keep spurring each other on in following Jesus. That's one bookend. Look at the other bookend, verse 17. Verse 17, these leaders are mentioned again. Obey your leaders, we read, 
and submit to them for for they are keeping watch over your souls as those those who will have to give an account sobering words for myself for he has in mind the elders or the pastors of this local church who here clearly have a role of authority as delegated by the risen Christ who is the head of the church so elders or shepherds are to be under shepherds under shepherds serving the chief shepherd and his people but notice how they are to serve notice the purpose they are they are keeping watch over souls I, I want to highlight that phrase they are exercising spiritual oversight for the purpose of care for the purpose of help to help you keep going to help you keep running the race of faith that's how I think of pastoral ministry I'm just here to help root you on and help keep you going too many people I find have an image of pastoral Care that is more like the spiritual police or something like that. That, that. that people can think sometimes, I don't want my pastors to know how I'm really doing. I'll tell anyone else but my pastors. Please don't let the pastors know. As if we're going to turn you into the Lord. You know, <laughs> he already knows, right? We're just here to help you. Imagine, imagine if I truly was sick this morning. Imagine I had come down with the flu virus and I talked to you afterwards at some degree of safe distance, and I said, I am avoiding any medical personnel here because I don't feel well. I mean, Van, Van Shalen is a physician. Susan Shalen's uh, trained as a nurse. What if I said to you, I am, I am avoiding the Shalens because I don't feel well physically. What would you say to me? So you are not well in more ways than one, Tab. <laughs> You are totally irrational. Why would you not go to someone who might be able to help you with what ails you? Friends, that, that's how you should think of your elders or your pastors. That's why we are keeping watch over souls to serve, to care, to help, to support. Not, not as spiritual healers ourselves but as people who want to point you to the great physician. People who want to help you see him and follow him. But we do need, we do need you to bring us in to where you need help and care. We need that. I am dull, I am dense, you already know that about me. We need you to bring us in to where you might be struggling, in your marriage, where you might feel hopeless in your parenting, where you might feel helpless as a teenager or a single adult. We, we need you to bring us in so that we might help you persevere. So here, here's the question I want to ask you. How are you plugging in to the church of Jesus to help keep you going with Jesus? How are you plugging in and staying connected at, at a contagious level to the church of Jesus, the people of Jesus, to help you keep going with Jesus? Are, are you in contagious contact with his people, or are you keeping a safe distance? Do you see your need for spiritual care and the example of faith around you? 
Are you thinking, I don't want anyone to know about you fill in the blank. If we're thinking that way and living that way, I want to submit to you, I think you're in some degree of spiritual danger. You're saying, I don't want anyone to know about blank. That's a dangerous place to be. And people around you want to help. God uses leaders, yes, and he uses all of his people to protect you, to strengthen you, to help you, to support you, and help you keep going. That's means number one for traveling uphill. Means number two, we must press on. Means number two, we persevere by the grace of Jesus, by the church of Jesus, number one, and then number two, by the grace, by the grace of Jesus. In verse 7, the readers are told to remember those who spoke the word of God. Remember that? They spoke the word of God to you. Now he goes on to tell exactly what they spoke and why they needed. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, now verses 8 and 9 might seem like really disconnected thoughts, right? Is this guy just doing random stream of consciousness here? No, no, he's not. He says, Jesus is the same because he wants them to realize the good news of Jesus is the same and still needed for them just the same. Did you catch that? The good news of Jesus is the same because Jesus himself is the same. You see, notice in verse 9, they are being enticed, it seems, by diverse and strange teaching. So God was saying to them, and God is saying to us right now, stay focused on the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the same because he is the same. So stay focused on Jesus. That message has not changed. It is like, I think it is like, how the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it, and this is how we want to be ourselves. Sp Charles Spurgeon once said the following. He said, I received some years ago orders from my master to stand at the foot of the cross until he came. He has not come yet. But I mean to stand there till he does. Here then I stand at the foot of the cross and tell out the old, old story. Stale, though it sound to itching ears, and worn threadbare as critics may deem it, it is of Christ I love to speak, of Christ who loved and lived and died, the substitute for sinners, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's a great picture of what we're being called to in Hebrews 13, isn't it? I will stand at the foot of the cross till my master returns. That's, friends, that's what we're committed to as a church. We don't want to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. So what do we do instead? We stay focused on the old, old story. Have you ever wondered, why, why don't we sing about something different? I mean, isn't tab so repetitive, always comes back to the gospel of Jesus? It's just so predictable. Here's why. Though it might seem stale to some, though it might seem threadbare to critics, 
though it might seem to have passed the expiration date, this message is the same. We need it just the same because Jesus is just the same. So, Grace Church, we will continue to stand at the foot of the cross and tell out the old, old story. And now notice why. Notice why in the middle of verse 9, there's a key phrase here. Middle of verse 9, see where it says for? For, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Oh, that's a very important phrase. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by his grace. Now, grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, really ill-deserved favor. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. We get grace for those who have believed. But grace, God's grace is a multitasker. I don't know if you're aware of this. Grace is like a Swiss army knife. God gets a lot of stuff done by his unmerited favor, his grace. Grace is a multitasker in this way. It doesn't just save you and leave you on your own. Grace is there every step of the way to sustain you, strengthen you, help you keep traveling uphill. That's what he's talking about. It seems, it seems the first readers were tempted to go back to perhaps rules and ceremonies, maybe here especially to uh, related to some food regulations, as he mentions food here. So perhaps these were somehow distortions of God's law, distortions that focused people on their own efforts, on what they had to do instead of what God had done and does for them by his grace. Now, just so that you do not misunderstand, we must make effort in perseverance. Christian perseverance does require effort. Please don't hear me saying otherwise. But I think the point here is that the power to persevere is in his grace. The grace in the old, old story. Think about it like this. Many of you, I'm sure, drove here. You drove a car here, most of you. Most of you drove some vehicle here, right? When you drove your car, did you have to make any effort? No one here has a self-driving car yet. I'm quite, quite confident that probably on the way. But still, you must make some effort, right? You, st you still have some role to play. You had to at least turn the key or push the button turn the thing on. You had to put it into drive. You had to push the gas, push the brakes, steer a little bit. You, you made some effort, I hope. But when you arrived here, when you arrived here, rather, when you arrived here, did you arrive here saying, I made that car get here? Probably not. You would say, uh, the engine powered by the gasoline got me here. And that's what the Christian life is like. Your soul is an engine that must be regularly fueled by grace, by the old, old story. So, so ask yourself this, as I travel uphill in the Christian life, as I travel uphill, what am I relying on? As you travel uphill in your marriage or your parenting or as a single adult or a teenager in whatever season of life you're in, are you using the high-octane gasoline of grace or are you running on the fumes of your own effort right now? 
continued the old, old story, I changed the metaphor, as, as water for your parched soul. You need the old, old story as, as bread to feed your hungry soul. You need the old, old story to give you grace, to strengthen your heart, to keep you traveling uphill. There was a phrase coined by a guy named Jack Miller, who I believe he coined it, and it was then popularized by Jerry Bridges, I don't know, a decade plus ago. And we overused it, I'm sure. It became a cliche, I admit. But it's still a good phrase. The phrase I'm thinking of is, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Did we wear it out? Probably so. But don't reject it for that reason, okay? Preach the good news of Jesus to yourself every day. For me, that just means reminding myself every day in some form or fashion that I need Jesus and I have a great Savior in Jesus. It's not that complicated, right? Tab, you fall short. You are a sinner. And there is one who lived, died, and rose in your place. That's what it can look like to have your heart strengthened by grace every day. See, the Christian life in this way is not it's not lived out just being sort of saved by the gospel. It's lived out every day, empowered by the gospel. This good news of God's grace is, is not, as Tim Keller has put it, it's not the ABCs of the Christian life, just the elementary teachings. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It spans the entire thing. So preach to your heart, friend, the good news of God's grace. And you'll keep going. You'll keep traveling uphill. And I want to add one other thing here, just by way of application. Preached that message to others as well. And I'm thinking here, especially in our fellowship, in our care for each other, in our small groups. It can be easy, I think, in our fellowship together to call others sometimes out of well-intended care, to call others mainly to moral exhortation. More self-effort. Is effort involved? Yes, we talked about that. But we tend to revert back sometimes to, have you tried this technique? Have you tried that technique? Have you tried this regimen of vitamins? Have you tried this regimen of you fill in the blank? I'm not putting those things down. They may all have their place. we tend to focus each other on our own efforts. And I wonder if you went to your next home group meeting instead. And when someone shares a challenge, a struggle, call them Frank and Sally. When Frank and Sally share some way they are weary of traveling uphill, you say to them instead, Frank and Sally, how could, how could grace strengthen your heart here? Wouldn't that be a good question? Frank and Sally, how could the old, old story fill you with fresh hope here? Frank and Sally, how could the message of Christ and him crucified help keep you going? Wouldn't that be a blessing to them? Wouldn't that be Christ-centered fellowship together? You see, we persevere by the church of Jesus. We persevere by the grace of Jesus. we got two more. Hang with me. Thirdly, third means we persevere by the gain of Jesus. Thirdly, we persevere by the gain of Jesus. Verse 10. 
we read, we have an altar. An altar from which those who serve the tent, the tabernacle, the place of worship, those who serve the tent have, have no right to eat. Now the author here is using the word altar as a figure of speech, actually. Altar here is representing what would happen on one of these altars back in the day, a sacrifice, a sacrifice for sin. So you could read this as, we have a sacrifice from those who serve in those places of worship had no right to eat. And you still might say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's talking about how priests in the Old Testament era, they would eat from the sacrifices that were made to God as expressions of worship. That's how they would get by. They would eat from these sacrifices after they would may be made, except for one sacrifice. The Day of Atonement, or you may have heard it called Yom Kippur. That's a big part of the book of Hebrews. That sacrifice was not eaten. That sacrifice was taken outside the camp and burned. And now he makes a connection for us in verses 11 and 12. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they are burned outside the camp. So also, here's the connection, so also Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So as that sacrifice was taken outside the camp, outside the city, so our Savior, Jesus, suffered outside the city of Jerusalem, taken to a hill, a hill called Calvary, where he died a shameful death. Crucifixion was not just meant to kill you, it was meant to humiliate you. You hung there naked in great suffering for days. Crucifixion was meant to send a message, don't be like that person. Jesus died like that but for a great purpose, as verse 12 says, to sanctify, to set apart, to set apart the people through his blood, through his sacrifice. Jesus died to set you apart to be God's treasured possession. Jesus died to set you apart and make you God's beloved child. He bore the full fury of God's wrath against our sin that you might be set apart for him. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ like that, please, please realize you, you need a sacrifice for your sins. It might be an odd thought to you, but realize this, sin brings the death penalty. That's justice. That's what God requires. That's what a holy God requires. We sang God of glory who made the universe. This God is holy and just. He requires the death penalty for sin. In fact, it's an eternal death for us in a real place called hell. But a sacrifice was made out of God's love for you, out of God's care for you, out of his compassion and desire to bring you to himself. A sacrifice was made of his own son to set you apart. Jesus bore the shame of your sin that your shame before God might be taken away. And don't you need that? I do. Instead of working so hard to 
try to make yourself acceptable to God. Instead of trying to cover up what you know brings you shame as if he can't see it. Instead of that, come to the sacrifice he made to take away your shame, to forgive your sins, to bring you to himself. Turn, turn from your own way, going your own way, and trust, rely on Jesus' sacrifice to bring you to God, and he will. So you might say, well, okay, Tab, well, what difference does this make for, for my life? This was written to Christians who were persecuted 2,000 years ago. How does that relate to me? Well, verse 13 begins to tell us. Verse 13 says, therefore, here's the punchline. Therefore, let us go to him, Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So Jesus suffered that shameful death. Now he's saying, go share in any shame you have in identifying with him. Identify with Jesus, even if that means shame for you. You know, for each of us, there's a, uh, there's a camp we want to stay in. <laughs> a camp of reputation. A camp of the good opinion of others. It's being the secret agent Christian in the workplace. It's being the undercover Christian in the neighborhood. It's avoiding spiritual topics at all costs with the family members. And God here is saying, no, embrace possible shame, embrace possible rejection by identifying with Jesus and so keep going with him. So, so what's going to help you and me to do that? For me, that's really hard. What's going to help you? We're told, verse 14, for, here's, here's how you do so. For, verse 14, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. There's the gain. Did you catch it? Embrace the shame for identifying with Jesus. Why? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek an eternal one, a heavenly one. And this, this he illustrated a lot way back in chapter 11, which is distant in our memory. But think of there in chapter 11, especially the example he gave of Moses. Moses, who was born into Pharaoh's household, born into the wealth of Egypt, all kinds of privilege, power, and yet he, he rejected that to be identified with his people, these Hebrew slaves, and God used him to lead them out of Egypt. Recall that? So in chapter 11, he essentially asks, why would Moses do that? Why would Moses turn his back on the wealth of Egypt and, and ease and power, position, reputation? He was royalty practically. Why would Moses turn his back and all that to lead the cantankerous people of God out of Egypt? Here's what he told us in chapter 11. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let me read that again. 
Moses considered the reproach, the shame of being identified with Christ, greater wealth, greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to that eternal reward. So do the same calculation in your own life. Reproach of Christ on one hand, reward of Christ on the other, and weigh them out. Treasures of reputation on one hand, treasures of Christ on the other. And then you live for the greater wealth because you're looking to the reward. So I, want, I just want to ask you, where, where do you need to, as it were, go outside the camp, that camp of reputation that I want to protect? Where do you need to go outside the camp in your life, in the neighborhood, workplace, family, and identify with Jesus because you're looking to the reward. Do that calculation and realize the shame is worth the gain. The shame is worth the gain because you're gaining Christ. And so you keep traveling uphill. That's the third means, the gain. One more, the church, the grace, the gain. Now, fourthly, persevere. persevere. Persevere by the worship of Jesus, by a life of worship to Jesus. Verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips, words we speak that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see what he's saying? He's saying the Christian life is now all about worship. As opposed to those previous priests, when you come to Christ, you are made part of a spiritual priesthood. That means you now have priestly acts to perform, the things he highlighted that are expressions of worship to God. He highlighted our words. He said, a sacrifice of praise, fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Your, your words are a priestly act by which God can be praised. He also mentions in verse 16, uh, do not neglect to do good. I think that covers everything else. <laughs> your words and everything else. <laughs> and to share and to give. Why? Such sacrifices, he says, are pleasing to God. So now your words and your deeds are all these mini altars for worship. And seeing that will help keep you going. Think about the weary mom of small children here. Because some of you are there. And it, life seems like an endless cycle of meal preparation, maybe. Care, correction, diapers, and interrupted sleep. And at times you wonder, understandably, can I keep this up? Maybe you're thinking about that this morning. Now realize that you are part of a spiritual priesthood. And all of those seemingly mundane moments are like mini altars for worship. Words and deeds that can be sacrifices of praise to God. Now, isn't your day in injected with all kinds of meaning and significance to help keep you going? Think about it as, as single adults. Single life, like the married life, can, can be hard sometimes. 
You feel like an uphill climb. Maybe you wonder, is this really worth it? Following Jesus as a single, is it really worth it? Serving others, I'm relating to others in purity, I'm trusting God for the present and the future. Is this really worth it? Well, now realize that, that all those things and everything else you do is, is a mini altar for praise. Your life is about a sacrifice of praise. You're living the single life as a sacrifice of praise to God. And now all of it is injected with meaning and significance and purpose so that you can keep going. Or think about the man or woman in the challenging work situation, in the challenging financial situation, and you want to give up. The money is tight, the job is uncertain. Maybe you're wondering here this morning, I'm, I'm not even sure I can get up tomorrow morning and face my boss, face my job, maybe face my schoolwork if you're a student. And I'm not minimizing your challenges, but what if you saw them as God sees them? What if you saw tomorrow morning as a, as a mini altar from which you offer words and deeds as a sacrifice of praise all day long? What's going to happen? Your work day, your life is injected with all kinds of meaning and purpose to keep you traveling uphill and following Jesus. Friend, for the believer, nothing is mundane in your life. You have no mundane moments. All of it is a platform for praise. So, so maybe you're here and you're tired of traveling uphill. I hope you're seeing means God wants to use to help you. Does God preserve his people? Yes. And he uses means. These are, these are high-tension wires delivering power to persevere. The church, the grace, the gain, and, and the worship of Jesus. These are, these are powerful weapons for you in the fight for faith. See his help in the church of Jesus all around you right now. See his grace in the gospel of Jesus, the old, old story to remind yourself of every day. See your gain in the reproach of Jesus. Though people might reject you, you are following him. See your life as worship of Jesus, all an altar for praise. And so you will, friend, keep going, traveling uphill all the way. We want to seal that to our hearts, as it were, as we take the Lord's Supper this morning. So would the ushers please be prepared to serve us and the music team come.